Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode, you'll hear Greg Barris. And um, this is where it gets kind of graphic. We, um, she, I can't even look at you guys. She, uh... <laughs> that and more. But before that, as you might remember, Chris Castiglione was a member of the Risk team for a long time. He created our fabulous site, risk-show.com. And I've mentioned that Chris went on to create an online class called One Month HTML. A lot of Risk fans took the class and loved it. They learned how easy it was to code by taking these one-month video courses. Now the one-month guys have an even more popular course, One Month Rails. One Month Rails is a series of bite-sized video lessons and step-by-step tutorials that teach anyone, even a total beginner, how to build their first web app like a simple photo sharing app, in just 30 days. If you get stuck, there's always a real person to help you out online while you learn. In the one-month Rails class, you'll learn Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, Bootstrap, GitHub, and more. Over 14,000 students have already started building their dream app and taking their career to the next level. So what are you waiting for? Enroll now at onemonth.com slash risk loves you. Enrollment is typically $99, but if you join now, you'll get a one-time discount 25% off for joining. And as always, you'll be helping to support risk. Again, it's one month rails, 30 minutes a day for 30 days, and you'll actually build your first web app. Also, 
How great would it be if the post office was open 24-7? No more limited hours. You could get your mailing and shipping done on your schedule. Now you can when you use Stamps.com. You can print postage whenever you need it right from your desk. Stamps.com will save you the time and hassle of going to the post office. No more rushing there during your busy day. Just use your computer and printer to get official U.S. postage for any letter or package. And then the mailman picks it up. You'll save money with Stamps.com too. You get exact postage that instant you need it no more overpaying and you even get special postage discounts you can't get at the post office we use stamps.com at risk and the story studio and we love it and right now you can use our promo code risk for this special offer it's a no risk trial plus a hundred and ten dollar bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to fifty five dollars free postage so don't wait go to stamps.com before you do anything else Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. That's stamps.com. Enter RISK. Now here's the show. folks this is risk the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share i'm kevin allison and this is uh bitchin barbo barimbas it's not that at all it's bitchin bajas behind me now and as i record this i am currently 67 days sober no uh pot alcohol poppers or coffee, and 33 days vegan. Um, I've taken to telling people I'm only vegan because I'm better than you, because everyone hates vegans. There's just an inordinate amount of rage aimed at the plant eaters. So far, I feel a lot more energy, a lot more stability and solidity and a sense of being more present, I guess. Although I still do regularly get emails from you guys saying, oh my gosh, on the latest episodes, your voice is so irritating and annoying because you're clearly so drunk and stoned, which I'm not, so thanks. Anyway, I'm hoping that this new clarity and health within three or four months I'll have, I don't know, made a little bit of a breakthrough on some deeper level because of it all and be able to share a story with you from that. Anyway, last week, as you know, was an, a historic week for this country. Uh, uh, the Confederate flags were finally coming down. Meanwhile, black churches were burning. Uh, meanwhile, Obamacare was preserved and gay marriage was legalized. All of these things, every one of these things, just reminds me how important, how crucial it is to us to hear people's real stories of their real experiences. You know, there's that famous quote, there isn't anybody you couldn't love once you've heard their story. 
And today we have a few stories about attempts at romantic love, uh, some successful, some not. We're calling it Odd Couples. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Anna Sarah. Hmm, let me get her name right. Let me get her name right. Oh, let me get her name right. Oh, 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 let me get her name right. Anna Sarah Gina is who we're going to be hearing from in a little bit. But before that, we're going to hear from stand-up comedian Greg Barris. He told this one at the Risk Live show in New York City. Here he is now, Greg Barris, with a story we call Dream Girl. Oh, thank you guys so much. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Thank you guys for coming out. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks a lot. Thanks for being here. Thank you. A couple more people? Sure. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, wow. Uh, let's just get into it. This is a true story. Let's, um, during the time of this story, this is important, I was totally sober. I was one year, one month, no booze, no weed, no caffeine. Thank you. Thank you. My family was like, surely you can have a glass of wine with dinner. Surely you can have some dessert tequila. <laughs> and um, I had done a show. And after the show was over, I was leaving the show. And there was this girl at the bar all alone. A lone girl at the bar. Like a nine at the bar. And I know numbers. People have like things with the number thing. But okay. And uh, so like this nine alone at the bar. And I don't have a lot of moves. I'm not like a kind of guy who's like, oh, let's just throw out all your moves that you knew from the book, you know? That's not my style, you know? This, I have like one move, and it's a very subtle, and I did it. It's a very subtle walk-by move. I'll just do it now. It's really super. I'm a subtle person. I'll just do it. You guys are the nine at the bar. I'll be me. Okay, here we go. Subtle. Here we go. Hi, how are you? So I threw my move out there. I threw it out there. Nothing back. Got zero back. Not a thing. So I was like, let's just get out of here. What were you thinking? Walk home. Get out of here now. So I walk six blocks home to the subway, and I walk down the stairs of the subway, and then my inner voice is like, what are you doing? Turn around. You can do this. You're cool, kind of. I'm not that confident with my inner voice. <laughs> You're kind of cool. Uh, turn around. You can do this. Like, you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My inner voice like tries to trick me. Like, this is, this is the voice of God. You can do this. <laughs> I made the stars. Like, yeah, okay. And so I start walking back up the stairs, and I get back above ground, and I'm walking back to the bar, and the wind picks up. It gets suddenly very windy, like against me. Like, that's a sign, but still, I persisted forward. <laughs> a stick gets picked up by the wind and hits me in the face. <laughs> and I'm like, that means nothing. That means nothing. Keep going. You got this. I walk back into the bar, and the girl is still there, and we talk. I end up talking to her for an hour and a half. I talk to the stranger at the bar. Yay, thank you. And, um, and I'm really, I'm killing it. I'm making a lot of jokes. Things are going great, just like right now. And, uh, 
And then her friends come, and I start making jokes with her friends, you know, because it's important. And uh, one of her friends is a doodler and doodles a picture of me as a dragon, my head on a dragon's body. I'm killing it at the bar. Then she's like, uh, hey, we're going to go across the street and go dancing. Do you want to go dancing with us? And I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, mean, I, was, I mean, I was like, yeah, okay, sure, let's go dancing. And uh, you guys know me, so you know that A, I'm a great dancer, and B, I'm a really great dancer. And uh, there's a little, there you go. It's a little taste. And uh, so we go dancing. I kill it, obviously. And... We close this place down, and I'm, everything was great, and I get, I leave, everybody leaves, I get into a cab, and I'm like, that was great, Greg, you're following your intuition, you're getting in touch with your instincts, you're following your impulses, awesome, and then I'm like, wait a second, that girl doesn't even know my full name, I don't know her full name, there was no phone number exchange, what have you done? And I start talking to the cab driver, like, hey man, listen, we gotta find this girl, we gotta turn around and find her because something was going on. And the cab guy is like a million percent on board, and he's like, yes, you must follow your heart! And I'm like, well, it's not like that, okay, yeah, yeah, I gotta follow my heart. And we turn around and we're like tearing through the streets of Williamsburg looking for this girl. And he's like, is that her? Is that her? I'm like, that's a bomb. Why doesn't my seatbelt work? <laughs> then we see her and he's like flashing his lights at her and he's honking the horn. And she's like freaking out. <laughs> and I write my name and number on a napkin, you know, and I, we roll up next to her. And I roll the window down. I'm like, hey, that was a really great time. We should hang out again. See ya. <laughs> I'm like, yes. And the next day, she texts me. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And she's like, remember that funny joke we made? I'm like, yeah, I remember that joke. <laughs> and, uh, and then we make plans to go out the next night. So I get super dolled up to the maximum, which is this. And, uh, and we make plans and we go out. And... Um, turns out that this girl is a raging alcoholic. And guess what else? A dominatrix. Yeah. Oh, this is good. This is healthy. This is good for me. What is that? A red flag? I didn't see it. And uh, so we're out and she's drinking and drinking and drinking. She get, I'm totally sober, just having like a club soda. And uh, she's like, this is weird that you're not drinking. It's kind of crazy that you're not drinking. I don't know how I like it. I guess it's fine. <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking to myself like, uh, I can make this work. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> then we start sort of uh, making out. We start making out. This is like me talking about making out. This is we start making out <laughs> on the street. Then, uh, then she's like, um, do you want to come back to my place? And I'm like, you know, like, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I was like, yeah, okay, cool, let's go. So we go back to her place and uh, we're making out on the couch. And um, this is where it gets kind of graphic. We, um, she, I can't even look at you guys. She, uh... <laughs> She, well, <laughs> we're making out on the couch, and she uh, she takes my top off, <laughs> and then I take her top off, and then she she takes my pants off. So I'm exposed, fully exposed, on the couch, and then 
the dominatrix without a safe word (laughs) hits me. She hits me, not in the face. She hits me, not in the face. She hits me down there like this. This is literal. My immediate reaction, like some kind of uh, instinct, is to grab her hair and choke her. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Why, 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 why? <laughs> then the dominatrix gets mad at me. She gets mad at me. She, these are her words. She calls me a faggot. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been called a faggot during straight heterosexual sex. <laughs> But immediate panic attack washes over me, full of anxiety, having like a flashback to like fifth grade gym class. And, uh, <laughs> and then she kicks me out of her house. And I'm like holding my pants, leaving her house. Like, why is this happening to me? Why is this going on? Moral of the story. <laughs> Do not follow your dreams. <laughs> oh, cute girl at the bar? Walk it off. Sleep it off. Way safer that way. It's going to be way better for you. All right, that's it for me. Thanks a lot. Have a good night. Nice to see you, sort of. Nice to sort of see you. Um, When I was 12 years old, my family moved from Moscow, Russia, to Vancouver, Canada, which is just like a huge upgrade, just any way you look at it. Russia is generally very somber. I don't know if you've heard this controversial uh, generalization. Pretty somber place in general. Like, I remember um, there were two channels on the TV. This was, uh, would have been mid-90s. And one of the two channels, there was always at like 6.30, no, later than that, 8 p.m., they would play like a childhood cartoon for you to watch as a, as a kid, and it would be mortifying. It would just be fucking crazy. Uh, like, they would show their version of The Little Mermaid, in which she just dies. She just 100% dies in the end. She turns into sea foam, and then uh, the love of her life rides over her in a boat uh, with a newer, hotter lady. And it's very sad. Just... So they would show that, and then they would play like a goodnight song, and then they would show like usually a made-for-TV movie about the Holocaust. So you'd be so sad about the first thing that you'd be like, there's no way I can go to sleep now because it's sad. And then you'd see that and be like, everything's terrible. So moving to Vancouver, Canada instantly was an upgrade. And I had all these like everything was amazing all the time. That was just must have been very annoying to be around. I first of all had a penis tip haircut, which is... A good hairstyle um, <laughs> when you're 12. But uh, I would like, I remember the first culture shock moment was I went into a, like a massive grocery store and a friend of my dad's while we were shopping opened up a can of Coke and then started drinking it in the store and I was like, what are you doing? They're going to kill us. <laughs> and he was like, it's fine. It's like, you just pay later. And I was like, no one's going to kill you? <laughs> And then it was fine. So everything was amazing. Uh, I moved with my mom and dad, uh, and they were like, 
I don't know, we moved to this beautiful place, and I really, honestly, up until this point, like, I don't remember them at all. I kind of, if I think back on what I thought of my parents before this, it's these, like, two abstract sort of, like, amoebas figures that, like, one, my dad had, like, a ponytail and was a large Thor-like person, and then my mom, just also large with a ponytail. (laughs) And then just definitely also Thor-like. <laughs> Very scary. And then me in the middle with just a penis where hair should be. There should be hair. And then me and my two ponytails. And that's it. That was us when we moved. And at first we moved to this beautiful place in Vancouver. And then my dad couldn't find a job. So we had to immediately downgrade to what turned out to be like project housing unit for predominantly immigrant families. And it was disgusting. This place was like in a basement, um, kind of like a on a downslope that you could kind of walk up to from outside. And the apartment itself just had like brown scratchy carpet that looked like diarrhea. And then like the walls and the counters somehow together looked like styrofoam that had been like chipped off. Just everything was gross and stale and wet all the time. But still, it's not Russia, so fuck yeah, you know? (laughs) And my dad, in this time, started trying to find a job, and he couldn't. And so he just kept to himself on his computer and just every day would try to find a job. In order to supplement her time, my mom took to the internet. This is when uh, Russian forums became very popular. Mm. Just hot singles meeting each other uh, near me. And she met this man who at first was like, oh, I just want to be your friend, you know, and I, I, that seemed fun, you know. I like friends. I'm 12. It's the late 90s, you know. <laughs> Perfect time to meet friends. Um, and so she met this man, and they started hanging out, and they would bring me with them. And he was terrific. Like, he looked like a fat Mr. Bean. <laughs> I thought that was super fun. You know, and he liked me. He like he was the first adult person who like took me seriously, and I would make like dumb voices and faces, and he would laugh, and that seemed important for some reason. And so he like the three of us would hang out together all the time, and he would essentially take us to these like beautiful places in Vancouver, like all these artisanal, you know, just like just like an artisanal gelato shop. <laughs> We'd walk in, and everything would be like bright purple and blue and minty and like the people working there seemed minty and you know and then he would take us to the beach and the water was like beautiful and clear and blue then I'd come back to my shitty apartment with brown carpet and a dad with a ponytail that wasn't facing me you know Mm -hmm. just like bobbing as he's looking for a job so by comparison this dude seemed great And the more time they spent together, like, I didn't know. I was just dumb. I was just, like, a dumb kid. So I was like, the three of us are a friendship, you know? The three of us are, like, the ultimate pact. And I just didn't know. And then, like, a couple of months into them hanging out, my mom, uh, like, pulled me aside one time, and, like, a flirty girlfriend was like, so I've actually been thinking about leaving your dad for this guy. What do you think about that? And everything was like, what? You lied to us? I don't know who us is. Just me and my penis, I guess. (laughs) Me and my hair? You lied to both of us? I mean, me, fine, but the haircut? Come on. And, um, you know, I felt really betrayed because not only was she, like, asking my permission weirdly to have an affair, but it also felt like she was asking me to have an affair. 
not with her, that'd be weird, but you know, <laughs> to cheat on my dad essentially with this other guy whom I liked. I don't know, I just felt really shitty and like I'd, I guess, been part of the whole ordeal. And so from that point out, I kind of like pulled back and just started siding with my dad who still wasn't really around, but he started trying, you know. And um, a couple of months after this, there's this one specific day where my dad and I are, like, trying to... We, like, don't know how to hang out with each other, you know, because it's just, like, an adult man who's absent and, like, stern, and then, like, a kid who's, like, but anything you want to do, I guess. And so we figured out, we finagled this, like, family night where we um, just ordered... Domino's Pizza, also available in Canada, (laughs) and put on The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That was the movie. And we settle in to this, like, I remember our couch being, like, really scratchy with stains on it everywhere, but it was like, this is what we do now. Just (laughs) hang out on this couch and watch this movie. You need a meat lover's pizza. I love my dad, I guess. So we're watching this movie, and in the middle of it, my mom comes out with this packed... Wilson tennis bag made out of that like swooshy material that just like horrible to listen to um, it was just like obnoxious silver you know and she I guess had like packed some things and stood exclusively in front of the TV and was like um, well I'm leaving in 10 minutes uh, Mikhail is coming to pick me up and I guess if you don't want me to leave now is the time to, you know, tell me that you don't want me to leave. So if you're going to tell me, tell me. I guess now would be the time that you'd say that. <laughs> now, any in the next 10 minutes, any, any moment. And my dad just like in the most stoic, I guess still Russian way, just like looks right past her. And is like, um, you're in the way. So, <laughs> and I like look at him, and I guess I've chosen to side with him. So I'm like, yeah, we're gonna keep eating pizza. <laughs> <laughs> like, mean mug my mom and like take another slice and chew on it. And I definitely can't see past her, but I'm like, I'm just imagining that they're wearing hats. <laughs> and uh, so she like paces around the apartment, and pretty much like at the 10 minute mark, there's a knock, not on the door, but on the window. And the window, like I said, we live in this basement apartment, so the window is like, anybody, it's below the sidewalk, so somebody could like walk up. The glass, I remember being always being like soot colored, so you just never like quite get ex- like exposed sunshine, it's just always like through, through a thick grain. And there on the other side of the thick grain is fat Mr. Bean, and he's just standing there. Like he's like kind of a part of our family now. You know, just like a weird, uh, like Zeus on the other side of this window. I don't know why he didn't just use a door like a normal person, but. And so we like look at him and he's knocking on the window and keeping the car running or whatever. And my mom's like, well, here he is. So, you know, if you want me to stay, you have one minute. (laughs) Just like keeping the countdown going. And my dad's still chewing and not saying anything. Mikhail, I guess, at this point, like, gets that he should come to the door. I guess this is nobody's answering the window. (laughs) So he walks around into our building and starts pounding on the door. And my mom's still, like, waiting, I guess, and is like, is anybody going to say anything? Is anybody going to keep me around? Or he's pounding. I don't know if you guys heard, but uh, there's a little pounding over there. 
And then my dad like puts down his pizza and is like, don't eat my slice. I wasn't gonna, but all right. <laughs> and then like, the only way I can recall it is like it all happened in one swooping motion. He like got off the couch, put down the pizza, got off the couch, walked straight to the door, wiped his mouth with like just an, an entire arm, <laughs> and then opened the door and then looked at this man who's shorter than he is, although whiter, and picked him up by the neck. <laughs> and then held him elevated above the floor. And so the man's feet are dangling. So we have a fat Mr. Bean dangling off the floor. And I'm like, holy fuck, this is amazing. I've never seen anything like this. This fucking rules. And then I wanna help. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm with my dad now, so I've gotta do something, I can't lift him up myself with a littler arm that doesn't make sense but I want to I have all this like weird because watching a fight is weird anyway you know but it's like my dad and this dude that I decided I hate and so I'm like I want to fucking mm, I want to help out so bad I'm gonna mm, I don't know what do I so I like run into my room and look for weapons I think I'm not really <laughs> sure what and I'm like looking around frantically and there's nothing and then I see that I have these Barbie dolls that had been like a real point of pride after moving to the Western Hemisphere of these Barbie dolls and I'm like that's good I'll use that and then I like pick one up and I don't know how to help with it so I, I get like excited and terrified and I and I just rip the head off the doll and I'm like yeah this is something and then I like just look back into the hallway and the doorway and I'm like just I'll throw it and then I threw it at them but bad throw so it landed closer to me but I was like that felt fucking great and so then I go back and I get more and I'm decapitating that one and throwing it and like from an aerial perspective it just must have looked like a really shitty low budget Eastern European version of like Fight Club I guess like just dumb and my dad's still holding this guy. It's been like a good over a minute, however long it takes to decapitate several several bods or whatever. And uh, he's still holding him. And m- meanwhile, my mom's flipping out and she uh, calls the cops on the phone. And whoever is the operator on the phone tells her to put my dad on the phone. And so she walks over to my and she's like pleading with him and like showing him the phone. And so he's like, all right. And he like puts down the guy and picks up the phone. And I guess the operator says like, I'm sorry, sir, but if your wife wants to leave, you can't hold her back like you have to let her leave and so he just shuts off the phone and then like doesn't look at them anymore and doesn't look at my mom just goes back to the couch and sits down and the movie's been playing the whole time so the like the theme music of <laughs> the good the bad and the ugly is like woo, like while I'm fucking and so he sits back down and he starts watching the movie and he like picks up like an entirely new slice of pizza, you know, like new beginnings or whatever. <laughs> and um, and then so I don't know what to do, so I just sit down next to him, and but I'm all like fucking uh, like a buzz, you know, I'm excited, but I'm just watching him and then I'm kind of watching them. And my dad is like, I don't know, is a last attempt, I guess. You could tell him to leave. Maybe he'll listen to you. And then he sees... Like, I'm, like, mortified. And so he's like, all right, you actually, I'm not going to make you do that. And he just, like, 
into the hallway kind of absently and sadly says like, you know, I'm just trying to watch a movie and eat pizza with my daughter, so if you guys can fucking leave, that'd be great. And then they silently do, but they leave the door kind of ajar and they don't close it. My mom doesn't really look back and walks away. And we live in these, like, like I said, these apartment buildings for immigrants and all these immigrant families that are like, in these apartments, sometimes 13 to a one bedroom, are in the hallway and they're like looking all at us. There's like people with half braided hair. They're all looking in and everybody looks scared. And I look at my dad and he's just looking forward. So I'm like, all right, I guess keep the door open and keep uh, keep on trucking. Um, and, um, and then my dad looks down and sees, starts noticing the Barbie dolls and he picks one up and picks up a head and is trying to put it back on his body and he he like can't do it he can't he can't get it on where the neck is and he keeps fumbling with it and it's like just not going on and he starts crying and i'd never seen an adult person cry before and i've certainly never seen my dad emote in the least bit like we've never told each other we love each other we've never you know he's just always been very closed off so I see him cry, and I'm like, what, the f- what is going on? And I am, like, little, so I don't understand that it's not about the dolls. And so I'm like, dude, it's fine. You don't have to, I don't need the dolls. We're, like, adults now, so I don't need that. And um, he very quietly just says, like, I'm sorry. I just wish we could have stayed together while you're still a kid. That's all. I love you, and I wish we could have done that. And um, I say, I love you too. And then we just keep watching the movie. And that was the end of that day. And it's really weird because I don't, like this one specific incident has really, really colored the way I see my parents. Like I, for years, would see them as just good and just bad. Like my dad decidedly was good because he was looking for a job you know, and loved us. And then my mom was bad because she took off. And this ended up being really problematic in my relationships with them, honestly, from there on out. And so I didn't learn right then how to be an adult, you know? Like, I didn't... I know without a doubt that this incident is, like, the end of childhood and the beginning of me, like, growing up. But it would still be a very long time of my being a dumb kid still. It's just that for the first time ever, I saw my parents as people and not these abstract figures. Thank you. I remember when I still was young in the sun, I knew hardly any worries. Now the story's changed and all is fading away Won't you stay until the daybreak I was young, I was young I was young, I was young I was young, I was young, I was young
This is Risk. This is Ewert and the Two Dragons behind me now. And we just heard from Era Anna. Oh, fuck. I fucked up her name. <laughs> I fucked up her name again. Anna Saragina. Of course, this time I fucked up the easy part. Folks, we're going to be trying something new this week. And that is because there's something that might happen in the near or far future, but uh, uh, <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> you see, it doesn't take drugs or alcohol at all. Anyway, Risk may be taking things to the next level in a profoundly exciting way in the near future. And what we want to do in order to make that happen is increase the size of our audience. We want more people to be trying Risk out. Do you have any idea how many people listen to The Moth or This American Life or Snap Judgment? Gargantuan audiences, so many of those people have never so much as heard of Risk. Obviously, we don't have the kind of money those places do and full-time staffs and the backing of national public radio, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Listen, as soon as you can, tell five friends, tell 10 friends, you've got to check Risk out. Tell them the best of Risk number four is probably the best episode to start with. That's always been one that I recommend to people first. Send them a link to our website at risk-show.com. Tell them how easy it is to download, how it makes driving or riding the train or running on the treadmill or taking a walk around town or while you're doing the chores at home or whatever it is so much more meaningful and emotional and entertaining and just memorable a time. If you believe in risk, be a, a proselytizer of risk. Go forth and preach the good news. And find us on Twitter and Facebook and let us know that you did. In both places, we're at Risk Show and on Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. So let's see if we can do this. Let's see if several months from now we can say we get almost 2 million downloads a month. Because I know in my heart for sure there are hundreds of thousands of people out there who have just never heard of the show or have heard of it, but just never took the time to give it a good shot. If they did, they'd become hooked. They'd love it. It would be a real beneficial thing to have in their lives. Will you do that for us? Spread the word. Thank you so much. We love you guys. Now, our final story tonight comes from the wonderful writer, Cole Kasdan. You can find her at colecasdan.com. Cole has written for uh, the New York Times, for Salon.com, ABC. She did such a lovely job at the Nerdist Showroom in Los Angeles, where we have the Risk Show every fourth Thursday of the month. Here's Cole Kasdan with a story we call Las Ballenas. Let's 
There are three reasons not to date a man with a motorcycle. Number one, the whole leather fringe on clothing thing. Uh, number two, the lone wolf, I'm free baby kind of mentality. And uh, the third reason not to date a man with a motorcycle is um, you know, crashing and cracking your head open and dying, which for me is the main reason and I had never had any desire to date a guy with a motorcycle. It wasn't like a hot, great thing for me at all. Not interested until I met this guy, Hugh. Hugh was, he was a biker officially, but you'd never know it to look at him. He looked like a totally normal person from the outside. And uh, we met at work, so he had a job. And uh, he was just like a smart, funny, cute guy who happened to ride a motorcycle, as opposed to being a biker. And for me, this was a really important distinction. When I was a little girl, my Aunt Jane exclusively dated motorcycle rider guys. They were always these very like ruggedly good-looking bad judgment, slightly assholey, non-committal guys. And um, I remember they would do, like every time something would happen, like they would say something really stupid at the dinner table, or um, one didn't show up for Christmas. Like we waited, he just never showed up. Uh, and my dad would just like look down at his plate and shake his head as if he wished it weren't like so predictable, like bikers. <laughs> When I was six, my aunt's husband at the time, who did have leather fringe on everything, asked me if I wanted to go for a ride around the block on his Harley. And um, I said no, because I was six. And he made fun of me, like, what are you, scared? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'm six. <laughs> and like, he laughed at me, and my dad saw the whole thing, and afterwards my dad told me that I had very good judgment, and I had made the right decision. And as an adult, I remember once or twice I was on the back of a motorcycle and it was very fun, but I knew like a very bad idea. And I knew that bikers were not marriage material because I had seen this with my aunt and her like three biker husbands. And I knew anyway that the man that I would eventually marry would be an Ivy League grad who had read East of Eden three times. <laughs> Those were my deal breakers. <laughs> very reasonable. What girl doesn't mean... Um, and, and I was noticing as I was like in my, getting into my mid-30s that all the things that were on my pros list in a potential partner when I was in my 20s were now in the cons list. So I was like in my mid-30s like, hot, fun, musician. It was now like, hot, fun, musician. <laughs> And when I met Hugh, he was like, he was a little older and really grounded and smart, and, but he was also hot and he was fun and he was a musician. And as she knows. And he also had a motorcycle, so it was like red flags all over the place. But Hugh wasn't a hotshot about the bike. In fact, the first time I ever rode on his bike, he gave me this like boring 10 minute safety lecture. <laughs> and lent me his spare helmet and this jacket that had like armor on it. I'm like, way to take all the fun out of riding a motorcycle. And he told me that the faster the bike went, the safer it was actually, because the momentum of the force of that keeps you upright. And when the bike is going slowly, you have to be very, very still and not fidget. I was like, all right. So I, that was the main tip. The, I, within like a couple times of being on the bike, I 
surprisingly, started loving being on a motor. Like, being on a motorcycle is so fun, you guys. Like, it makes everything an adventure. Like, even going to Gelson's is like an adventure. Like, are we gonna take the bike? Okay, let's get milk. And, and I was starting to, starting to fall for Hugh, too, because even though he had all the makings of a great hot fling, he also had a lot of qualities that I was looking for in a partner. I was maybe starting to fall in love with him. So when he asked me to go with him on a 10-day motorcycle trip down the Baja Peninsula in Mexico, I said yes, because what could go wrong there? We rode down Highway 1. I mean, we had all our belongings were like packed tightly on the bike. We were staying in tiny towns I'd never even heard of. I mean, it was an adventure like I had never, ever done before. We swam in the Sea of Cortez. We ate guacamole for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It was like the perfect trip, and it was so romantic. And when you're on a motorcycle, you're sometimes, you know, you're riding for hours at a time, and you can't talk to each other. So we started to develop this nonverbal communication system. Like, I would tap him on the shoulder to indicate pull over for like a bathroom break. He would tap my knee to kind of wake me up to a sight that maybe to make sure I wasn't missing something beautiful that we were seeing. I would um, uh, squeeze him with my legs to indicate excitement. Like if I saw a sign for the town we were heading to, like Todos Santos, 20 kilometers. It's not fair to blame the gray whales for what happened next because they're innocent animals. Okay. There are these whales, these amazing gray whales, according to everyone in Mexico. And once a year, they migrate down from heaven, apparently, to this one lagoon in San Ignacio to give birth to their young. And they're only there for a week, and if you blink, you miss it, and then they go back to swim at the right hand of God. And people plan their whole trips like a year in advance for this one week in San Ignacio, right? This whale eclipse. And, and Hugh and I just happened to be in San Ignacio when this was happening. And it's all anyone talks about. Like, you go to cafes and you just hear like, whales, whales, whales. Like, everyone's talking about the whales. And how we just saw the whales. Are you seeing the whales? We're seeing the whales tomorrow. We saw the whales yesterday. And when people, just in chatting with people, found out that we weren't seeing the whales, there was almost this tourist peer pressure about it. Like, you're not seeing the whales? Why aren't you seeing the whales? The whales are magic. If you don't see the whales, you are a fool because the whales will change you. <laughs> and it's, it's not like we don't like whales, like whales are great. But the main reason we, we weren't gonna see the whales is because the road to get to the whales was actually kind of treacherous for a bike. It was a dirt road with sand. And for a car, that's no big deal. But for a bike, sand can be like black ice almost. The tires have nothing to grip into. So Hugh didn't want to risk it. And then when the 400th person told us we had to see the whales and that the road wasn't even that bad, we decided to go for it. The road was that bad. <laughs> It was worse. I mean, it was dirt and sand and unpredictable terrain, and it was 40 miles. And I remember there were times where I could feel underneath me the bike 
wanting to go down. I could feel the wheels not being able to grip. At one point, we were going down this sandy hill, and I could hear Hugh in front of me yelling at himself through his helmet, you are not going down, you are not going down, throttle through, speed up, speed up. He had to talk himself to speed up because when you're about to fall down, it's completely counterintuitive to speed up. But he did, and he got us through. But I was terrified. I mean, this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for sex and guacamole in Mexico. (laughs) And now I was in a life or death situation. So 40 miles, and and finally I see this little patch of blue sea and a sign to the right that said Las Ballenas with an arrow. That's whales in Spanish. And uh, it had like a little, I remember a cartoon picture of a whale with like a little blowhole, like (laughs) an arrow. And and so uh, we turn off and then we hit a patch of sand and we went down. And we weren't going that fast, but we went down hard. I mean, I remember my helmet just smacked against the ground. And then we were trapped under the bike, this 500-pound machine, like in the same position we were sitting up, but like on the ground, like that. (laughs) I did a quick mental scan for the kind of pain that goes with broken bones, because I know that pain, I know what that feels like, and I hadn't broken anything. So I wormed my way out from under the bike. And I remember I was asking Hugh, are you okay, are you okay? And he wasn't answering. And finally he said, I don't know. We were in the middle of fucking nowhere. I don't speak Spanish. I had just learned the word for whales 20 feet back. It's Las Ballenas. (laughs) Hugh wormed his way out from under the bike and he could tell that he broke a few ribs. He could feel it. And another tourist had seen us go down and circled back and helped us get the bike up. And we walked it down the road towards the beach where you get the boats to see the whales. I decided that I was never getting on a motorcycle ever again in my life, which is not the best decision to make when you're only halfway through your romantic motorcycle trip through Mexico. But I didn't care. I mean, I, my whole skeleton felt rattled. And, and I was afraid. I wanted to go home. I wanted to call my dad. I wanted to take a bus back into town, even though there was no bus and there was no town. And, and Hugh had walked down a little to the beach, and, and he sat down, and he, he looked angry. And then I got closer, and I saw he had started to cry. And it it wasn't for his broken ribs or the fall. It it was for me. All he wanted was for me to feel safe on this trip and feel safe with him. And he felt that he had let me down. I didn't say anything, but as if reading my mind, he said he would completely understand if I never wanted to get on the bike again and if I wanted to go home and if I wanted to get the next bus back into town, even though there was no bus and there was no town. Something about him saying that changed something in me. But the first time, maybe in my life, in any relationship, I decided I had to put myself aside. (laughs) That my pain and my fears were secondary for now. Because if I wanted to be in a relationship with this person, 
I had to show him that I trusted him. I had to get back on the bike. But first, we saw the whales. And they are magnificent. <laughs> There's like mothers and babies playing in the surf. We're in this tiny little boat close enough to touch them. The babies have baby blowholes and they're squirting you with their baby blowholes. The whales are magic. And if you are in San Ignacio, the second week of March, and you do not see the whales, you are fools because they will change you. <laughs> there was no way back except the way we came. It was 40 miles of dirt and sand. I remember at one point, Hugh had us both get off the bike so that we could walk it up that sandy hill that we had come down and was so scary. But the whole ride, I was terrified. And when we finally hit pavement, Hugh reached his hand back and I took it. It was our nonverbal bike communication. He was saying, thank you. And I was saying, I'm in. There are three reasons not to date a man with a motorcycle, but I couldn't think of one not to marry Hugh when he asked me the following year. Because I realized that bad shit happens beyond your control, but there is no one I would rather have at my side than that man. And I think the whales did change me after all. Thank you.
all for this week's episode, folks. This is Callie Mason behind me now, and we just heard from Cole Kasdan. Don't forget to be spreading the word about risk. Tell your friends. Tell them on Facebook and Twitter. Email them. Tell them in person. Tell them how to download it. Tell them where our website is at risk-show.com. Tell them about some of the most unforgettable stories that you've heard on the show. If everyone who hears this episode told five to ten people about risk, I think we could really increase the size of our audience. So do it! And don't forget, on July 17th, we are in Minneapolis. We are still taking pictures for that show. The theme is shock. I'm at Kevin at risk-show.com. Time's running out for getting those pitches in. On the 23rd, we're back in New York and Los Angeles. And on the 25th of July, I'll be doing a storytelling workshop in Reno, Nevada. That night, the 25th, we'll be doing a, a risk show in Reno. Uh, the, ho- the, the theme that night will be Mindfuck. On August 21st, we're in Philadelphia. On August 22nd, we're in D.C. Philly, the theme is rattled. D.C., the theme is ludicrous. For all four of those out-of-town shows, we're still taking pitches. So pitch me at Kevin at risk-show.com. Hey there. Would you like to take a one-on-one Skype session, a storytelling training session with me Well, you can through thestorystudio.org. Other things we have available are corporate workshops. We travel. We'll go out of town to come do a workshop for your staff. Uh, We do in-person workshops in New York and Los Angeles. We have our workshop that's online that you can take in your own time at your own speed, all at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness. Here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. 
and to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC.